Hello and welcome to another edition of the Leaders Performance Podcast. My name is John Porch and I'm the editor here at the Leaders Performance Institute. And I'm here with an exclusive behind-the-scenes episode recorded at the 2019 Leaders Sport Performance Summit at Atlanta's state-of-the-art Mercedes-Benz Stadium. The two-day event across the 25th and 26th of June attracted Leaders Performance Institute members from far and wide who heard from esteemed speakers including Mark Shapiro, who talked about the learning culture he is cultivating at the Toronto Blue Jays as president and CEO, and the analytics duo of Amit Shetty and Ryan Murray, who work for the SunTrust Bank and the Texas Rangers respectively. We find it's always good to be able to compare and contrast approaches from sport with the outside world. If you're interested in hearing from those speakers and many more besides, the key takeaways from both days can be found online at leadersinsport.com forward slash performance. And if you're a Leaders Performance Institute member, you'll also have access to the session footage in the same place. And for those of you still in the undecided column, you'll also find everything you need to know about becoming a member at our online hub. I want to start this podcast with a full disclosure. I did not set foot in Atlanta myself, but my esteemed colleagues, many of whom you will have met, were on the ground at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium doing my legwork for me in between delivering another brilliant event. They spoke to a variety of our speakers and moderators, and over the course of the next hour or so, you'll hear James Emmett catch up with our de facto host, Thomas Dimitrov, the GM of the Falcons. That's up first. James then returns in part three to speak with Brad Sheehan, the managing director of flight safety at Delta Airlines. James bookends Luke Whitworth's chat with Connacht rugby head coach, Andy Friend, which forms part two. Before Luke returns one final time in part four with moderators Angus Mugford, Peter Vint and Steve Gearer, as well as leader's very own Matthew Stone, to deliver their initial thoughts on proceedings over the course of the two days. And a quick spoiler here, they were all quite happy with how it went. I think that's quite enough from me. Let's get into it with James Emmett and Thomas Dimitrov. Thomas Dimitrov, TD, GM, Atlanta Falcons. Thank you very much for being with us today. You're great. Can I correct you on the pronunciation of yeah, my please. name? Dimitrov. No. Dimitrov. Yes. Did Dim- I, what did Dimitrov. I say? Dimitrov. What did I say? Dimitrov. Did I say that first yes. time? Thomas but Dimitrov. My brother. Dimi. Dimi. <laughs> <laughs> where is it from? Dimitrov. Where is it, where is it originally It's from? Macedonian. Oh. Yeah. But uh, Hungarian Macedonian, that's, okay. my, that's my makeup. But, okay. but long and short of it is I laugh because my brother who's older than I am, who should know better, yeah. pronounces it Dimitrov. Right, which is kind of, kind of an American, Americanized. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and my response has always been, um, because I'm pescatarian, there's no meat in Dimitrov. That's good. Let's say that's good. For you, okay, for you. Yeah. you can get that one. Um, I'm going to go with TD if that's okay. That's perfect. Yeah. Um, uh, always a pleasure to see you. Always a pleasure to hear you speaking. And you've just spoken here, opening session at the Leader Sport Performance Summit, here on your home uh, turf at the uh, Mercedes Benz Stadium. Um, I'm always struck by your um, kind of hunger, thirst for knowledge and learning, and how open you are, A, to um, talk about mistakes that you've made and, and, and how you've learned from them, B, your genuine desire to talk to other people in kind of equivalent positions in sporting organizations around the world about how they're doing things. And you were just having a private conversation next door and I was very interested to learn that you've recently had Dave Browsford, uh, the Team Ineos cycling uh, performance guru, round to your house in Atlanta, is that right? He was here with a number of guys. Uh, Jimmy Worrell was here as well and we had a number of really good guys that have affiliations with leaders 
they were here for the Super Bowl. Uh -huh. So within that Super Bowl time, we were all hanging out. We spent some good time on a P8. We also, of course, spent some time cycling. And David, we want to talk about David Brailsford and his one of his final moves with Team Sky, sends me over a Pinarello F10. Because I said, send me a bike and you can ride it anytime you ever come here. Uh -huh. And I'll, I'll hold it for you in my garage. So we laughed. We ended up going for great rides while he was here. Funny story aside, uh, he, he is a coffee aficionado, right? And uh, I like coffee. I do drink a lot more tea, if you remember. I asked you about tea at one time. Uh -huh. But uh, he sent me over a top-notch uh, rocket uh, um, coffee maker, espresso machine with, uh, with a grinder. Unbelievable setup because he was so disappointed that in my house, after and before a ride, he, he had no coffee and he didn't have the right uh, barista there to take care of it. So he told me, I will give you a year after I send you this really high-end piece to, to actually be adept at what you're supposed to be doing. That's being mm -hmm. a good host and make the right cup of coffee. So uh, Dave Brasford's already taught you a couple of sort of perform coffee performance lessons. <laughs> he has, yeah, he's yeah, fantastic. Yeah. But he can drink his coffee now. Uh, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, you were just up on stage with Mark Shapiro, president and CEO of the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, a super smart guy as right. well, also a big um, hunger for learning. You spoke to him yesterday as well, and we had a, a, a P8 meeting and a dinner yesterday, and you, I think I, what I got from that session there, you sort of consider him to be one of the smartest thinkers in terms of hiring, sort of finding um, top-class people for an organization. Can you explain what you have learned from him over the last day or so? So I think, you know, there are often times when we're in, in these roles, uh, GM roles, president roles, where you're trying to be effective and efficient with your time, but sometimes efficiency roles, right? So when you think about bringing in, uh, you know, a group of, of uh, entry-level people, you think, well, I'm not going to spend too much time on this, on this hire. And he really smacked me right smack dab in my face yesterday because I have recently been a part of a hiring process with a few people, younger people within our organization, and I was nowhere near as involved as I should have been. I led it up to a lot of people that I trust within the organization, but I think by being more involved and, and more deliberate and more, more direct with that hiring process, the people that would join us would know how important they were to the organization, and everyone else would realize that as well. So what, what Mark was very direct about was understanding when you do put that time in, when it is direct and deliberate and, and really, really cognizant of making sure it's the right hire, it's only going to have um, many, many layers of affecting people within the organization. Not just the young people that we're hiring, but the people that were involved in the process. Mm -hmm. um, you also talked up on stage about um, the other side of that coin, firing, uh, and how um, that's actually a really important part of sports and I think you did the classic TD thing up there of, of um, talking about uh, being really open and vulnerable about uh, mistakes that you've made in the past and can you just sort of um, go into one of those in a little bit more depth you talked about sometimes you've maybe given people a little bit too much time and, and you know perhaps you should have struck once the iron's hot well, I'll tell you, you know, there's no question it's the unfortunate part of, of a profession, especially 
sport, right? You, there are a lot of really talented people and a lot of good people, good soul people who just might not be a fit for an organization for many reasons. And I look back on it over the 12 years that I've been involved now with the Falcons, and I realize there were, there were situations that probably should have been taken care of maybe even five, six, or seven years uh, ago. And some of those people, quite honestly, are still you know, trudging their way through an organization, and we're working. We're working at it. And, and I believe in giving second and sometimes third chances. I'm not one that one mistake or one uh, realization, and I'm going to completely, uh, lack of a better word, hatchet someone. Not, that's not my makeup at all. I want to work with people and continue to help them get better. There is a point, though, of no return. No return, and the mistakes that I've made probably have been delaying that. Mm. And uh, and and when you delay that, of course, it not only sends a message to that person that okay, that's okay, and you can be mediocre, but it sends a message to other people within the building. TD, I hate to speak in third person, is letting this happen, so it's acceptable. And quite honestly, what I've been hearing a lot more lately is when you, as a leader within an organization, allow things to go a certain way. It's not just, they're not just looking at that person saying, well, you know, uh, X person over here is a pain in everyone's rear and he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing and she's not taking care of business, but she's still staying in this organization. They're not just, they're not just throwing a dart at that person. They're throwing a dart at me as a leader saying, and he is also at fault here. And he's letting this happen to our organization. Hmm. So I realize, I've always realized that, but when it's been voiced to me about the importance of that, uh, it it really strikes me. And I realize more and more, have to be expeditious when you know it's the right move. And you could talk to any leader, Mark Shapiro included. We've all done it. We've we've held on too long. And sometimes, uh, you know, maybe we've made moves even quicker than we should. So Mm -hmm. it's it's not an easy art for sure. Talking about hiring for character, and obviously character is really important uh, here at the Falcons organization. Every hire that you make, everyone on the playing side and on the support staff as well. You were talking about how you love to be quite direct about asking people what their personal philosophies are, Mm -hmm. whether that's a potential playing recruit, whether it's a coach, whether it's anyone. You've been here now, you'd say, for almost, well, you're going to your 12th year, which is remarkable for uh, someone in your position. So congratulations. I appreciate that. Um, Would you say that your personal philosophy has changed over that time? If we had the conversation your first year to now, or or are you still living the very same values? Well, I think, um, you know, asking some of the people what their personal philosophy slash mantra is, I get different things from people in their 20s and their 30s and their 40s, of course. I've, since I've got this job, I think I've been, and I got it when I was 40, I'm now 52, like 12 years flies by really fast. I would say in my mid-40s, I, I came to a, 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 a sort of an understanding of what I truly was living by and what I wanted my children to live by. And, and quite simply stated, I didn't share it out today, but it's sore and it's savor and it's share. I think I've shared it before. That is important for me. There are three S's. It's simple for me, and it's what I believe. It, it, it's it's shooting for you know for the stars, going big or going home. Um, you know the the idea of savoring the whole process, the journey is huge for me as well. Not just flying through and when I come to die, I find out that I have not yet lived. What a horrible mm. event that would be. And then the share element is big for me, as of course. So I think about that, and I think if I would have lived that and been you know had grasped that in my twenties or even in my 30s, I wonder sometimes where I would be. But I didn't until my mid-40s because I was in a different spot. So 
I, I am still living strongly by that at 52 now. Some things have adjusted, of course, my approach to leadership. What was brought to my attention recently, which I think is a really fascinating, uh, it's not a massive revelation, but it was brought to my attention by Steve Cannon, our uh, CEO of all of Arthur's businesses. He said, Thomas, I think you're at a spot at 12 years in your career. Uh, he said this, uh, um, and I will say it uh, self-deprecating in a self-deprecating way. You know, you're, you're a pretty good general manager and you've worked hard at that. Great. I think it's time right now to continue to do that, of course, but continue to focus on your leadership growth 12 years in because it is a different world today and you're not leading like you were seven years ago. Really important uh, for this organization for you to continue to evolve as a leader. And I thought, my God, that's exactly where I need to be. And uh, I had some moments this past year when it was tough and I'd said to myself, okay, where's, am I enjoying this as much as I was in the past? Are the wins as enjoyable? Are the losses more catastrophic? And I would say, yes, okay, that's the fact. You have a lot more going 12 years in. As I continue to lead and share, I hope that I can continue to find you know, the enjoyment of what I'm doing and continue to help a lot of people grow as leaders along with myself as I grow. Mm -hmm. um, just thinking back on that 12-year um, tenure now, um, and it's, um, you know, it's rare that you get a, a GM who, who manages to stay in the position for, for so long. How do you think you've done it? How are you, st how are you still in this job, Thomas? <laughs> so both from your perspective and from the organization's perspective, because yeah. you know, it's a rare thing. It's, it's, uh, it's not a backpat. Sometimes I look at myself and I'm like, wow, that's a, that's a long time given, given this job, right? It seems like the longevity for GMs in the NFL is more like three or four years. And uh, I, I believe um, two head coaches, so I was with Mike Smith for a number of years, and now I'm with Dan Quinn. I think number one was me being very, very intent and very direct uh, about how I wanted that relationship to go because it was about a partnership. It was about the two of us growing and learning together as head coach and general manager. There is no way you can be successful in this league if you don't have that. So my dad was a football coach. I wanted to coach for the longest time. I got into personnel and then moved my way towards being a general manager. I've always had a really strong understanding of where that fine line is between the relationship. And I continue to feel like I'm doing it now and I continue to realize that that is paramount and there's no getting around it. The people who don't survive in this league are uh, at loggerheads with their partners, whether it's a coach or GM, because it, it, to me it becomes an ego thing and it becomes misguided and misdirected. And I think if you keep that understanding of it being a partnership and you're working together and you're honest and you're, you're it's, it's, I've recently, in my mind I'm coining it, I've, I've coined something for me that's real is it's um, uh, empathically direct. So I wanna be direct with Dan Quinn as my, my head coach partner and I wanna have empathy in my delivery and not just wheel off over something that doesn't need to, doesn't need to carry some sort of anger or agitation. That's important. I also believe in Dan is really, really positive, and I've talked to him a lot about in, in the spirit of positivity. I also want it to be appropriate positivity, meaning I don't just want to be, you know, walking down the hallway, clicking my heels like a leprechaun. I want to make sure that we're looking at it in the right way and we are being truthful with each other and the organization in the spirit of being positive, but also being appropriate. Mm -hmm. When Stephen Cannon um, 
advised you that um, now's a good time to focus on evolving your leadership um, again, I guess. What steps are you taking to do that now? How are you going to check? Well, yeah, develop the way that you're a leader. Right. So, so where I have been spending a lot of time with my relationship with Dan Quinn, that's not going to change. I am going to go back into really starting to focus on a lot of that middle management group, that department head group, and some of the rank order. Be very deliberate with that and spend more time helping them grow. Because if I'm not helping that group of eight to 10 people grow, as well as the people underneath them, then I'm not helping the organization grow and people aren't learning to grow as leaders. So I'm gonna spend more time, not only with the personnel department, which is really easy for me because that's my background, but spend time with video, spend time with equipment, spend time with uh, athletic performance, spend time with football technology and help them. And and really uh, spend the time uh, delivering um, you know ideas and, and I think that's going to be really important for the culture and in the end I think that will help in a lot of different ways of course we still have to win football games mm-hmm. it's one of the things that I struggled earlier on in my career I was like this is all about wins I realize now at 52 years old with 12 years going into my 12th year that you can manage both if you're adept at what you do and and again humbly I think I'm adept at what I do and I need to be able to put my best foot forward mm-hmm. Stephen Cannon, am I right in saying that he used to work for Mercedes-Benz? He came, I think he came to Arthur Blank's organization from Mercedes. Stephen Cannon, was, uh, he was the uh, uh, North American uh, CEO for, for Mercedes-Benz Mercedes. and has an unbelievable outlook yeah. on doing things at the top level. Yeah. Yes. And, of course, we are sitting here in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Does Stephen know that you drive a BMW, Thomas? <laughs> he does know, but he also knows that I do have a, a, a Mercedes-Benz as well that, that the uh, club and Mercedes has supplied me, which I love. Yeah. I happen to be in a lease. Yeah. Uh, it's funny that you know that. Did, how did you figure that out? I can't You've remember. You've put your car keys down between us. <laughs> very good. Very, You've very always, You've got a Maverick streak in very, the time. I do yeah. have a Maverick streak yeah, in that's me. good. I love the, the, the car I'm driving in both cars, and, and it's, it is interesting. Yes, everyone knows. Arthur understands that as well, and, yeah. and uh, it's big. But I do love my Mercedes. Yeah. Very good. Thomas Dimitrov, thank you very much indeed. I appreciate it. So hi guys, it's, uh, it's Luke here, um, a different voice from James who you've heard for the last couple of days. Uh, I'm actually in the speaker room with, um, with Andy Friends, head coach of Connacht um, over in Ireland. Andy's come over for, for the summit, he's had a busy couple of days so I thought I would uh, I'd grab him, um, get a bit of a sense on what stood out to him over the, the two days of the summit and also the, the P8 as well, which took place on Monday, which was kindly hosted by... Uh, Thomas Dimitrov, a good friend of ours. So, Andy, thank you very much. Um, I pulled you away just in t- just before lunch, so apologies for that. But uh, you've come over. Um, really good to get a sense on what stood out for you in the last couple of days. What's been the big takeaways? Well, firstly, uh, the P8 was fantastic. Um, my first time having a, an intimate experience like that with uh, like-minded people, general managers, coaches. Uh, there was about 10 of us in the room and uh, we virtually spent from 9 o'clock in the morning till probably 7 o'clock at night just uh, just talking, sharing ideas and and um, and, and basically you know, how we as uh, leaders in, in our respective areas, um, the challenges we have, the things that we, we feel work and, and uh, I reckon one of the common themes that came out of that, um, it's about people. Our business yep. is about people. Our business is about connecting with people. Our business is about showing humility, uh, being vulnerable, being able, being willing to learn, and being able, being willing to uh, 
um, to stretch yourself as well uh, and that seemed to be a common thread uh, amongst all the people in that room so that was really um, it was really enlightening for me uh, I, I took a lot out of that um, and I think the other big thing is is then just the, uh, the connections the, the, the connections that you're gaining that, you know, the, the networking connections that you're gaining that you can uh, we can then um, continue to build and, and develop over, over time. Yeah, I think the people, and that, that seems stood out to me quite a lot over the last couple of days, actually, across the sessions. But from your guys' point of view, at, at Connex, obviously in rugby, I think just from sort of our perception working with, with guys like yourself, is I think rugby's pretty good from a sort of people and cultural point of view. Can you, how do you think about it in the organisation? Like what are you doing to kind of develop your people and the, and the environment around them? Is there any little snippets or, or lessons you could, you could share? Yeah, I, I think... Um, it's probably one of the things too. I, I do think rugby is good at that. I think rugby's you know, one of the ultimate team games, uh, and, and there's a humility about rugby too. I think you know it's, it's, it's you know it's you know we often call it the gentleman's sport. You can probably argue that on some occasions, but I think it's brought up with the right values. It's got the right values about it. So I've probably been fortunate enough to to, to have been around that for a long, long time and and have been exposed to that. Um, my view on it, uh, as I said there before, it's you know, it's got to be about the people. My my philosophy in coaching is is to know the game, to coach the individual. So I do know the game. I've been around the game for over 30 years, um, over 40 years nearly. Uh, but it's about how do I connect with the individual, and the more that I can share about who I am and what makes me tick, the more I believe the player is willing to share that. And once I know that, and once he knows that. She knows that as a staff member, um, on what makes what's important to me, and I know what's important to them. We can build this bond, and we can we can have connection, and, and uh, we can achieve some pretty special things. Yeah, it's a great philosophy, and I think one thing I was keen to ask you: it's been a pretty diverse couple of days here at the actual summit. Um, you know, we've looked at leadership, we've looked at data, we've looked at human performance, we've looked at coaching. If you were going to pick one session that resonated the best with you, what do you think it would be? I'm going to take out Thomas Dimitrov and Mark Shapiro because you were with them all day on Monday. So yeah. that one doesn't count. <laughs> yeah. And that was enlightening too. So we, we did. We had the whole day together on Monday, yet still on Tuesday morning, you still pick up things that you go, oh, we're spot on with that. You know, mm. that's, well, yeah, that's a point that maybe was raised yesterday that I didn't necessarily pick up. So it, it was still, you know, it was great to hear that. Um, I, I think I love the weatherman. I love um, Paul. I thought he was great. Uh, and again, um, probably related to where I'm living at the moment in Galway, <laughs> we, we have we have this great asset that's the weather that uh, we can use to our advantage. I don't think we do that as well as we need to. Um, but I had some great uh, conversations. I had a great conversation with, with a girl called Kristen around uh, a sleep watch that they're currently um, producing or working with. That's another area I reckon we're going to get some great benefit out of. Mm. I loved um, um, General Nello. I thought he was fantastic in, in, in his... Um, just, just his um, probably the steeliness and the, the matter of fact way he spoke about um, his role and what and what he's done, um, and the humility he showed within that as well, uh, and probably the analytical part. I haven't given you one answer; there. I've given you multiple <laughs> answers. But but that's but that was I think which was what was so fantastic about um, you know this summit. There's been many different snippets that have probably been different normally. Uh, when I've been to different con conferences or summits, it's often with similar like people. So a lot of rugby people, a lot of mm. rugby league people, AFL people, given the country I come from. But um, I'm probably one of the only rugby people here, so it's great. I'm getting a whole brand new lot of thought 
been thrown at me and it's been really invigorating. Yeah, it's great. And I think that probably the biggest question is the silver bullet, maybe. Um, what are you going to take back and what are you going to start to look at working on as soon as you get back? Maybe even thinking on the plane on the way back. Oh, listen, I, I've got 15, 20 pages of notes. So I'm taking <laughs> a lot back. Uh, and I was asked by someone today, how do you actually take that back? And, and uh, we have a staff, we have a management meeting every Monday morning. Uh, that management meeting, uh, at, the f- at the back end of that actually... Um, a staff member has to present on something that they've done, seen, read, listened to uh, every staff, every every uh, at the end of every meeting, um, and it's for 15 minutes. And I'm going to lead it off. I'm going to lead it off with this stuff, and it, I'm going to lead it off with you know a lot of the, the little snippets that I picked up. Um, but I'm going to do that because I don't want to own it. I want to be able to say to our head of athletic performance, you know, I want you to make this connection. I've spoken to that person. They're mm. waiting for you. Chase that one for me, please, mate. Our head of medical, you chase that one for me, please, mate. Coaches, we need to be reading this book. I want you to read it. I want you to come back and have a, have a look at it with me. So I want to share that knowledge, get it out there to the staff. I'm over here representing Connet, which is uh, which is fantastic that Irish Rugby's allowed me to do that. So it's not Andy Friend's knowledge now. This is Connet's knowledge this is Irish rugby's knowledge and we'll share it and, and hopefully we'll get a lot of benefit out of it yeah I love that approach and um, we'll, we'll wrap up here because I know you're probably starving but uh, we really appreciate you coming over and uh, hopefully it was a you know fruitful couple of days and uh, I'd imagine that presentation will be longer than 15 minutes on uh, on Monday well that's my job on the plane is to try <laughs> and uh, be succinct in that 15 minutes and allow it to stay at 15 but anyway oh, thank brilliant. you well, no, thanks really a lot Andy cheers take care bye simple one to begin with. Please could you introduce yourself? I'm Brad Sheehan, the Managing Director of Flight Safety for Delta Airlines. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've literally just got off stage I uh, did, yes. uh, right here at the Leaders uh, Sports Performance Summit. Um, how do you think it went? I, I hope well. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, I think you know, I find a lot, of, uh, a lot of benefit in kind of cross-industry conversations. We typically all struggle mm-hmm. uh, and have the same opportunities. So it's always great for me to find validation and talking to dissimilar, mm-hmm. dissimilar industries, but with similar uh, challenges mm-hmm. in the sports world. There's obviously a. Um, it's very clear the distinction between success and failure. I think you know there's winners and there's losers. Uh, most of all, unless you're talking about soccer, in which case some, sometimes there's draws. Um, I suppose it's the same in flying. You know, there's most of the time there's success, and when there's failure, it's it's tragic failure. You know, it's catastrophic failure. Can be. Is there a grey area in between? Yeah, I mean, there's no, yes, uh, is the short answer. There's no perfect flight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think one thing that's especially, I think, um, stands true with Delta is we, you know, we're, we, we strive to, to climb the mountain. We want to be the best, right? So I think uh, both intrinsically pilots want to be safe because it's, um, uh, you, you know, you're the first person to, to get to a bad, uh, bad event. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in general, uh, you know, the performance review, how we continue, the continuous improvement mantra, it's, it's both, I think, baked into the DNA of not just Delta from a wanting to be the performance leader around the globe, uh, to, you know, safety performance is part of that. It's, uh, as my, my boss likes to say, it's not safety or performance, it's safety and performance. And mm-hmm. the two are synonymous. Um, a pilot doesn't separate um, the decisions they make that are relative to the outcome of a flight from a safety perspective from those which are uh, the very nature of the flight itself. Mm-hmm. So for us, it needs to be um, it needs to literally be baked in. Mm-hmm. Um, I always say that you know safety is not a priority; it's a value. And if it's a value, then it becomes a belief, a behavior. And if you practice that all the time, then it goes back mm-hmm. to one of the questions: um, when I get rushed or when I get tired, um, priorities will shift. 
if my priority is to get home because my kid has a birthday party, mm -hmm. well, that might um, change my behavior slightly. But if I always practice, you know, uh, the same types of behaviors in terms of how I approach my job, whether you're a ramp agent, whether you're a dispatcher or a pilot, if you approach it the same manner, regardless, you won't be as vulnerable to those performance impacts. So it really is how you practice, is how you play. So there's no such thing as panic stations uh, on, a, on a Delta flight, or there shouldn't be. Um, not from the crew. Not from the crew, certainly. Um, how do you, clearly there's a, there's a fantastic reporting um, culture uh, in aviation and at Delta. When it becomes apparent, the data and the report suggests that um, people have made um, incorrect decisions, uh, they've clearly felt pressure and, and, and that's manifested itself in bad decision making. What do you do systematically to help them sort of get better? So some of that is, um, you know, the, the, the pilots, not universally, but the pilots in, in general are very much, um, they, they want to get better. They want to perform better. So they're both kind of naturally and organically um, self-interested in how did I do, what could I do better? Uh, but also a lot of us, uh, you know, there, there's that, um, they want the feedback. I think a lot of pilots enjoy the feedback, when, especially when it's constructive over, um, you know, I really enjoy when the flight's over and I look over the pilot next to me and they might, they might give me a tip or something. And mm -hmm. I've been doing this for several decades. And I like the fact that it's, you know, um, we'll speak up. We, we kind of talk back and forth. Um, you know, no one likes to make a mistake. Uh, and so sometimes there's kind of a, you know, especially when you're a professional aviator, when you make a mistake, sometimes you'll see people kind of wear it on their sleeve. They're a little bit downtrodden. They take it home with them. And the big thing for us is to help them understand and see that most of us make mistakes. We want to keep those mistakes manageable. We want to make sure that we, when we do make them, we um, manage them successfully so they go away. And the majority, uh, um, you know, there, there's science and there's studies that show that every flight has a certain amount of errors on it. Even with the two best trained pilots, but we manage those errors. We, ca we capture them. We trap them. We have resilient systems. Uh, and so there's nothing wrong with making a mistake. Part of it is how do you learn from it? How do you recover from it? Mm -hmm. um, so don't get angry. Um, you, know, you, you can't spike your helmet uh, when, you're, when you're at 35,000 feet. You have to stay uh, focused on the mission. So some of that is, is just the resiliency of knowing that it's part of human nature. Mm -hmm. we're, we're not, because we're pilots uh, or ramp agents or mechanics, you're not immune. Mm -hmm. So some of that is just having that kind of personal reflection to know it's, it's okay. Quite interested in the process that's set up between um, between pilots on a flight. So on any given flight, you'll always have a pilot flying and a pilot monitoring. Monitoring, um, and you were talking up on stage about the kind of instruction that you give to both. The, well, every pilot does a bit of both, I guess. Um, but when you are being monitored, you are saying it is perfectly within your rights to kind of explain how you would like to have the feedback given to you. Sure. How does that work? So it's, you have a, a captain, so you have, an, you have a, um, a designated authority mm -hmm. on the aircraft, but in reality, it, it's, it's, uh, it's jointly managed. Uh, you also have a dispatcher uh, in the background is helping you. So it's not just the two pilots, you have a crew of flight attendants in the back. You, it's, it truly is a team. Um, but once the airplane pushes back off the gate, it's largely the two pilots. So the captain is the decision maker in terms of being the final, uh, you know, accountable kind of executive on the airplane. Um, but the important piece is uh, when one person's flying, the other person is uh, managing. There, the roles are very. It doesn't necessarily. It doesn't necessarily matter who's the captain, right? Um, when you're rowing the boat, it's not important that you're the main person rowing the boat. When you're flying the airplane, in, in fact, data shows that. Uh, captains are more likely to be the person flying when something bad happens. The reason for that, even though they have more experience, 
is the first officer is much more likely to not speak up when it's the captain than vice versa. Mm -hmm. And so you see that in accidents around the globe where, where the, uh, the first officers will let something bad happen because they're more afraid of speaking up than they are of, uh, of advocating for themselves. So we talk to captains about how do you create that environment where the person next to you, even though they might be a different generation, they may be uh, you know, uh, two decades junior to you in terms of seniority or experience, I need that person next to me to challenge me when they feel like it's important. So that help, I always talk about the healthy skeptic. Um, I want you to, if you see me doing something, you're not sure why, speak up. And, mm -hmm. then, and then when they do speak up, make sure it's, you know, thank you for the feedback. Or, you know, it doesn't do good to say, hey, I want you to give me your honest feedback when someone provides it to you and you tell them to shut up or mm -hmm. go away. So I think it's encouraging the, uh, and also helping to train that pilot who's monitoring to know you're not just the person not flying. Mm -hmm. So as, uh, as, as any operator becomes more focused, you're, you are uh, more narrowed in on a certain task, you're no longer seeing the big picture. So airplanes have levels of automation, and when the autopilot's fully flying, the pilot who's flying is really just managing the airplane. When you're flying the aircraft, um, you're focused, like, a, like you're looking at the world through a soda straw to an extent. And so you're not able to, at certain times, see the big picture. The pilot who's monitoring then becomes more of a manager. And so you want someone who's a healthy advocate for, uh, hey, captain, with decades of experience, when you're flying the aircraft, you're now more focused than you normally are. So you're not able to be a generalist when you're a specialist, mm -hmm. so to speak. So encouraging the pilots, uh, regardless of experience level, and that's, so that's something I have to be cognizant of. I've been doing this for two and a half decades. I need to make sure the person who I'm with feels comfortable to speak up, regardless of whether I have a title or a position. And so that's changed. Years and years ago, the captain was the authority, and they were affected. That comes from the whole master and commander. And but if you notice, I tell people the captain of a cruise ship is not driving the boat; mm -hmm. he's watching a crew manage the aircraft. So um, we've even we even train now for our captains when something, you know, significant happens, let the first officer fly the airplane and you manage and monitor. it. Monitor yeah. exactly. Mm -hmm. Sort of an extension of that is this thing that you talked about on stage uh, about the experience myth. Um, it is not always the case that the most experienced person on the plane uh, is necessarily going to handle any situation best. There's an element of complacency sometimes that Absolutely. comes into it, that they've seen this situation before, they're not going to focus properly, or, or it's harder for them to focus properly. And you talked about a scenario that I guess is happening all the time now as younger people come into the industry, younger pilots come into the industry, and sometimes you would see vastly experienced older captain uh, flying with uh, first officer, 20 years, their junior. Um, a millennial, and in, it seems um, that the aviation industry is uh, one of many that considers millennials to be troublesome, but you were saying that's not necessarily uh, how it is. Millennials are not bad at flying planes. Not at all. Hmm. No, I think, I, and I value a lot of, uh, you, know, uh, you know, probably being Generation X, I see, you know, I, I both look up at kind of the retiring uh, baby boomer generation and the, and the incoming millennials, and I see great assets uh, of both, great values in both. You know, with with that experience, you do have some wisdom. You do have, um, you know, you, you do have a generation that flew aircraft that were much more prone to failure, and um, you know, systems that were, uh, you know, much more rudimentary than what we have today. Um, the aircraft today, I think, are much more. Um, uh, let's say they lean more towards millennials in terms of we use iPads for uh, for a lot of that. You know, we're we're more managing an aircraft versus um, needing to be able to take it apart and reassemble it than we used to. Um, so it's, uh, I wouldn't say in any way, I'd, I'd say the cognitive focus has shifted from, 
you know, one where I had to know this aircraft technically very well because when something goes wrong, I had to be able to think in my noggin, how do I, you know, reassemble what's left and, and get out of this successfully, to today where it's much more of an understanding our role in a complex system. Um, it's, it's, and I think millennials are geared towards, I think, first of all, that, that value and that feedback, I think, is, uh, is something that millennials are, you know, pretty good at. And, in fact, you know, not universally. But I think millennials are very good at receiving, um, you know, kind of receiving feedback. And, and some of the things you see of, you know, enjoying meaningful work, that's very valuable, valuable in terms of, uh, you know, something that I view as an asset. Uh, people who, um, you know, they, they want to see their job as something that's making a difference. And I think that goes... Um, very well along with a lot of our safety programs and, and how we try to learn and con the continuous learning piece of um, I don't want to just approach my job like I'm a cog and I'm doing something repetitively. I want to see that, yes, what I do tend, you know, might have redundant pieces to it, but you know, by and large, um, it's still a profession which is you're always getting better at it. You're, you're, you're part of a, um, of a craft hmm. and you're continuously growing in your field. Um, and you're never at the top. Like just becoming a captain doesn't mean you've accomplished the end. It just is a step along the way. And so I think both generations have a lot to learn from each other. And um, and so even though we're losing a lot of the experience, I think what we're gaining is a is a very agile, uh, very capable workforce. Mm -hmm. Finally, uh, a personal note: I am both fascinated uh, and terrified by flying. I always uh, sit on uh, the window seat. I look out the window the entire flight. I thank, thank you for that. I love it. I absolutely love love sort of looking out um, at the land or the sea below. But what I notice, sometimes I look out the window for, you know, eight hours, the full duration of an eight-hour flight. There are a lot of planes in the sky. It's a busy old place up there. Um, how likely am I to die in a, uh, a collision in the air? Um, you are much more likely to get you know, mauled by a bear, struck by lightning, uh -huh. um, you know, aliens attack, that type of thing. It's, it's an incredibly safe system, and it continues to get better. So it is the safest form of transportation uh, in, the, in the world, and it continues to get safer year over year. And I think some of that is um, you know, how many industries with a, with a nearly flawless safety record are so focused on improvement. Um, you know, some of that is because we know that there's a huge focus. When something happens in aviation, um, you know, I, there's a sign every day I pass driving home from the airport to my house, and it says that it's a tally of how many drivers die on Georgia roads every year. And it's, you know, it starts off in January, and it might be a few dozen, and by the time you get to the middle of the year, it's 600. And at the end of the year, it's over 1,000. Mm. And you think about how, you know, most of us have no concern. We jump in a car and go for a drive. Um, but it's absolutely statistically, dangerous. statistically yeah. very dangerous. Yeah, yeah. And so you look at aviation to where we, we talk about even on flights that were near flawless, we're going to discuss afterwards what we could have done better. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's not just the safest form of transportation. I think it continues to get better. You, it, there's, the, there's a loss of a feeling of control. Even when I sit in the back mm -hmm. and I largely work for the Department of Bad News, right? I see nothing but like all of our, all of our uh, events. I still think to myself of how safe the system is, and it's a big sky. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of airplanes, but it's a bigger sky. And sometimes I, 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 I notice how remarkably lonely it can be when you're, when you're sitting up there at altitude and you look around and you don't see somebody else. Mm -hmm. um, I still, every day, kind of look at the miracle of it. And the thing that you said that I'm most happy by is your window's up. I think the biggest thing we do is we take for granted how special flying is. And, and how, you know, Delta, our, our, our new saying is nobody better connects the world. And I love that simply because it is such an amazing thing that I can basically be anywhere I want to be in the world uh, in, in a 14-hour flight. 
Um, and it's it's a remarkable thing. And and today people keep their window shades down. Mm. And but they, they're told to as well. I, I sort of when resist. it's hot at the gate. Um, well, no, 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 not that. Yeah. No, no. During during the flight, I am now often told to close my window shade because people want to rest. And I sort of think, well, I deliberately got a window because yeah. I want to look. I peek um, my, I open my number. Yeah, yeah, me so. too. Me too. Well, it's a crumb of comfort what you've given me there, uh, Brad. Thank you very much for that. But if I do now die in a mid-air collision, you know, I'm going to be having the last laugh because obviously you've just told me that. So uh, anyway, I'll Brad. I'll change my story. <laughs> Brad Shin, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Okay, guys. Um, We've come to the end of the Swap Performance Summit in Atlanta. It's the second day. Uh, we're in the speaker room. Um, we have five of us sat around a table here at the moment. We've got our own mini round table. Uh, and what a lineup we've got. We've got to my left, uh, it's Luke speaking from Leaders here. To my left, we've got Angus Mugford from the Blue Jays. To my right, uh, Peter Vint, who did an excellent job hosting as always. Uh, next to Peter is, is Matt from Leaders. And then on the opposite side of the table is, is Steve, um, seasoned veteran on the podcast and also helping us shape the, the agendas as well. Gentlemen, um, I want to say welcome, but I think all of you have been on the podcast before. Um, we always like to do a bit of a wrap-up after the event and try and capture the, the key takeaways. Um, so we thought we'd create a little roundtable um, and try and get all everyone's insights from the last two days. So I'm going to start with Angus, if you don't mind, because uh, you're sat right next to me. So Angus, give us your thoughts, uh, what stood out, um, and what you're going to be taking back to, I would say Toronto, but that's not true, it's Florida, isn't it? So <laughs> That's right, that's right. Well, it was... Uh it was definitely action-packed, um, and immediately after the event, it's always hard to filter, so I appreciate you and you guys are putting some of the notes together, because kicking off with uh, with my boss and uh, Mark Shapiro and Thomas Dimitriov was was great. Really, I think, to, you know, we talk a lot about leaders and leadership and, and uh, how they influence and impact people and organizations, and I thought that really was great at setting the tone and I'm very grateful for their leadership and Mark specifically for, for me but the org and, and I think seeing you know a consistent theme that a lot of people were talking about was the alignment of people trying to be successful in their job impacting athletes or performers and how supported they are by their leadership um, so I think their setting the tone around culture was big and and the closing, you know, with um, I think the the piece with uh, David Epstein this morning was really impactful to me because we do have such breadth here with people from different industries, from you know Delta to military to you know sport and and everything in between. Um, he talked about that knowledge integration and just the importance of exposure to different disciplines. Um, and, and actually, I think that as we've been going through our own paradigm shift with the Blue Jays, it was interesting to connect with some of our staff after that that helped click for them the importance of, you know, what has, you know, Delta Airlines safety got to do with baseball, you know, and where's the value in actually picking on those threads and, and being curious and asking questions and, and the... You know, I, think, I can't remember the actual quote that he gave, but the solving you know, similar structured problems, that was the way he phrased it, that I thought was great, that similar structured problems seen in other industries gives you more breadth of knowledge and ability to tackle things and be more creative in problem solving. And I thought that was really well put, very compelling in a way that an, a writer, an author can do. Um, 
but I, I think there was a lot there to pull on. No, I couldn't agree more. And thank you for uh, moderating a couple of sessions as well. I think we'll definitely come back to a couple of things around what we're going to probably take back to the, the organisation. But uh, I'll come to Peter next as well, because he sat right next to me as well. Um, so, Peter, fun, fantastic time again um, hosting and knitting everything together. Um, makes such a difference having that kind of input. Um, same question for you, really, is you know what really stood out from you? You kind of had that view across the two days of sort of digesting everything and piecing it all together. So, interested to get your thoughts on uh, what stood out. Yeah, strangely, I'm, I'm, uh, well, I'm going to actually jump on the same two sessions that uh, Angus referred to, and then I'll tack on the the one at the end that I I thought really was terrific around um, holistic approach, athlete uh, wellness, uh, you know, some of the movements that we're seeing in professional sport, particularly around mental health. I, I think that movement is one that the more we can talk about, the better off we'll be. Uh, but really coming back to the beginning of my answer, I thought the, the first session with Mark Shapiro and Thomas Dimitrov, for me, while I thought the content was great, what I really appreciate and what I really reflected on most, I think, was how candid and transparent these guys are in describing their style, their approach, their learnings, what they hope to uh, do to align their organization and develop other people. And as I reflect on the type of leader I'm trying to become or the kind of professional that I aspire to be, and I'm certainly still a work in progress and always hope to be, that I really appreciate guys like that who, at the top of their game, at, you know, in, in American professional sport, they are as open to sharing of their learning successes and failures as you would ever hope to achieve. And I just think that there's something really powerful in that. And and as I look at the iron fist rulers of the stereotypical badass coach or, you know, owner that's just breathing down the neck of everybody and contrast it with guys that seem to be so learning centric, not only in their environments, but themselves, I, I know which type I I aspire to be. Um, I'm always fascinated by uh, David Epstein's work. I I think that he presents in the sports gene and now in range ideas that are really impeccably well researched and, and thought through, but challenge me in my own journey as well as the journeys I've seen of athletes that I've worked with. Um, and so to rectify the elements of that from a, yeah, I connect with that, or wow, I feel like I'm quite different than that, or that, you know, I've seen others that have done it quite differently. I think the notion that it's not either or, it's not a binary this or that, it is rather there is this continuum upon which this can happen. And so uh, I just find his, his work excellent and always enjoy speaking with him. And, and, and so for me, as it, it's, I suppose, a little bit difficult in my context in that I'm really trying to not only hear but also think about how the audience is engaging with this context in a way that I can continue to bring them in and maybe personalize elements of it. Uh, and so for me, I'll walk away with you know, additional time and effort on how all of this fits together and and I will always appreciate just the 
the sheer uh, range of people that get brought in front of these leaders communities because it's it is challenging but it's also really refreshing to hear people from all walks of human performance professional work and challenge yourself to understand how those things might actually be related into what you do yeah nice no, brilliant thank you peter before i pass over to steve i'll just move along the table to, to matt get the leader's voice in there um matt your thoughts um lots taken lots of hard work for us over the last couple of days but you know what was your what was your thoughts i think um <clears throat> it seemed to be about all about the people i think a lot of the sessions were talking about people and how you um integrate them into your culture how you integrate them into the way you think i think mark started with a quote that was leadership's about humility and i think that resonated over the couple of days and i put that in the takeaways at the end of the end of the two days um but with mark and thomas agreeing with angus and peter they they set the tone i think at the start of the summit they were brilliant um but they're living it they, they're believing what they say they're not just saying it because they think it's the right thing to say It'd be very easy for mark to say things knowing that angus and the rest of the organization are in the audience but you know i, I can tell that it's genuine and he he believes in that thomas again a very passionate person um, I thought that, that Lars Mins from Mercedes-Benz was brilliant. Um, again, talking about a pretty interesting relocation for them um, down here, but you know how they put people at the centre of that, and um, you know that's very important to him and very important to, to them. Um, he was an incredible, incredibly thoughtful guy. I thought, um, and then just other kind of thoughts. Really, I think moderators. I think Steve better job than I've seen you do ever. I think it was great, another level. I think Angus, superb, very relaxed, very natural. I agree. I thought Josh Lifrak was brilliant. Yeah. His debut on stage for us. Um, and then it was a nice extra dimension to have Sam Walker and David Epstein mm. kind of share their thoughts from a speaker's capacity, but also step into the role of moderating as well. I feel very blessed really that they, they took out the time to do that because Sam had to rush up to San Diego for his son's graduation. David's got a very, very newborn. So for them to take the time and come down here, that's great. Um, and then just the final thought for me really is, Peter, what you touched on in terms of the, the staff that are working here, talking about people again, absolutely blown away by the, the culture that you know, Steve Cannon spoke in, at the P8 on Monday about how they strive to be bringing the best experience for everyone and every single person you come into contact with here is is thoughtful they're living that culture they are um, making sure that you are having the best experience you can when you're at this stadium and it's home so I think for the Falcons and Atlanta United and everyone involved in the stadium it's they should be very very proud of that. It's shockingly good and 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 really for me being new to the area and to experience that quality of customer attention and support and care uh, as as just one of many that are walking through this huge beautiful stadium is really something special so um, I was very happy to call that out absolutely yeah I'm gonna pass over to Steve Matt um... yeah okay so yeah no I mean to, to echo what, um, what everyone was saying about the Atlanta Falcons and the Arthur Blank um, sports group um, everything you I mean the people here it's certainly this this stadium and this team is certainly a reflection of uh, Southern hospitality and certainly of Atlanta as an as a as a city. 
Um, so if uh, so, for all of you Brits who are uh, <laughs> listening in your cold, uh, I know it's June or is it June yet? It's still cold. June. It's still cold. It's, you've had all so, three days of sun. Yeah, you've had your three days of sun. It's a heat wave. It's it's 10, 10, 10 degrees. Um, so you guys should all come out here and definitely check out the stadium at some point because it's. Uh, and I'll tell you what, like commercial directors for for organizations that are over in uh, in England and struggling with how do we actually um, you know make a better customer experience for our fans. Um, look no further than Atlanta um, because they're they're doing it here. Um, this is it was truly a sight to see. Um, my takeaways from from the um, from the from the two days, I think I'd probably just really like drive into I think something that that Mark shared in the run up as we were preparing for for his session with Thomas Dimitrov, um, and that was vulnerability. You know, I think mm-hmm. that like if, if I had like the common theme through. I think the most impactful sessions for me over the last two days was sharing, um, and then sharing, and, and then taking that next to the next level of actually then making yourself vulnerable. Like at the end, for Tony to actually tell that story, you know, which everything turned out okay, but that 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 everyone up in that crowd, there are going to be people who are going to who are going to think he made the wrong decision, right? And if you guys want to know what we're talking about, go pick up Range by David Epstein. All right. So, um, but there's a chapter written about this decision that that Tony, a pararescue. Um, commander had to make all right and he came off stage and he was he was he was visibly you know upset in some ways that you know he was scared that people would actually like gonna judge him on that and it was literally one of the best sessions I think I've seen in leaders probably since Jeff Orr completely eviscerated himself on stage about um, his f-16 pilot experience Um, I think it's that level of vulnerability and sharing that invites people into your space in order for you to share. And that's really what leaders is all about. And that's really what I think is, uh, is kind of like the key to, to taking new ideas and to, you know, moving your organization forward is, is just you learn faster when you share and when you open up yourself and you make yourself more vulnerable. Um, you learn faster. When we talk about, you know, the learning culture that you're creating at the Blue Jays, that's part of the reason why you guys have a learning culture is because you, Angus, you and the team, you guys have the, like one of the strongest presence here at Leaders on a consistent basis. And there's no doubt that I think you guys are going to comp- be competing for World Series championships in a, in a division where probably you guys have no business doing that, you know, in the next five or six years. I can clearly see you guys doing that. And you're going to do that because you're going to get an intellectual advantage over the other organizations because you open yourselves up to the opportunity to learn. And so learning and, and sharing and, and building all that, but it all starts with vulnerability. So if I had one kind of common theme throughout the entirety of the, uh, of the last two days, I think that's what I would kind of focus in on. What do you think, Luke? You put the agenda together. Uh, what do I think? Well, I thought, um, I thought we got a really good balance um, from the insights across the board. We, we obviously pride ourselves on bringing on uh, speakers from outside of sports try and sort of challenge challenge thinking um, I think one of the big things for me that stood out was and I had a few chats with a few of the guys over drinks last night and it seemed to be that people are seeing the idea of knowledge share knowledge exchange as being a future competitive advantage um, I think we've all probably got to a benchmark of with technology and how we're interpreting data um, but it seems to be a lot of the maybe sort of softer things that are actually starting to get a little bit more of attention. Um, how we can go explore other fields of excellence, bring them into our environment, um, 
make them more contextual to what we're trying to do from a performance point of view. Um, that seems to me what's stood out from some of the conversation. I think on the sessions, I think you know we're blessed. I thought um, Steve, I thought you did an unbelievable job with um, with Thomas and, and Mark yesterday morning. I thought it was um, excellent session. It was obviously going to be two separate sessions at the start, but actually to combine them was pretty remarkable to get two leaders of that level sat next to each other and. Um, for it was excellent an for, we for an over an hour. Yeah. Well, it was <laughs> great, but I want to also say that I think the way that you managed um, Amit and Ryan, yeah. you know, yeah. Amit from banking and Ryan <laughs> from baseball, I, I, if you wouldn't have had some of the discrete parts of their conversation, you might not have known who was working in what. Yeah. So I, I thought the way that you navigated that was just brilliant, really cool. Yeah, no, it was excellent. And one thing I want to do quick before we or head off, Angus, you've got to fly back, and Steve likewise. Um, it's probably what you're going to go back to the organisation with and probably focus your attention on. I've got, I see your notebook here, which has got loads of scribblings in it. I suppose the, the million-dollar question is we, we sit here, we engage in the content, we talk to loads of people, but you know what we're actually going to do about it. Um, interested to hear what might be on the top of your agenda. We have a reflection exercise, so we, uh, we did kind of bring a small army here. We had, <laughs> we had eight people across, you know, scouting, player development, high performance, and, and so I think I'm really excited to actually see what they have, you know, and we're mm. trying to be very applied with who do they want to share thoughts with and on what and, and how do we act on that. But I think personally one of the, you know, I did have the opportunity with, with Kelly Helsey, the mm. uh, chief nursing officer, and and even Nayaka that you mentioned with the NFL too. I think there's, in this kind of service industry, the self-care portion um, is something that I have front of mind for a lot of our staff that are in the grind, you know, especially baseball, 162 games in you know, 185 days is, is crazy and they're halfway through. So we've, we've been afforded the luxury of, of coming out here and, and um, but I know that you know, those guys are grinding and so making sure that we're thinking as an organization about uh, not only development and performance, but but also the sustainability and um, you know. So I think that's something I've got to dig in. And obviously, former uh, well leaders uh, friend, not former, but current leaders friend, uh, Dara Harris too. That's yep. something near and dear to both <coughs> our hearts. So I think we'll be diving in a bit more there too. Yeah, we we definitely missed Dara across the across Dara. the summit, don't we? But uh, look forward to seeing her again soon. And just before we, we wrap up, I'll go to Steve again as well, just for his thoughts. But yours as well, Pete. You're obviously working on some really exciting projects at the moment. But same question as Angus there. Um, you know, one thing that you want to try and focus your attentions on, or is right at the top of your mind at the moment. Well, it's actually uh, it's a it's a great question and a tough one for me to answer right here and now. Um, the current project that I'm working on is is really about doing basic things impeccably well and having the mm. discipline and the transparency of the communication and the uh, the willingness to uh, leave egos on the table for the benefit of the project and what you're really trying to achieve uh, first and foremost. And so all of these pieces, as I step into my next role, which will be a leadership role, uh, again in sport and with one of our national governing bodies, I think it's really these elements of, of leadership. And Steve, I agree with you. I think for me, the, the one word, if I were to walk away with it, of what moved me the most or what connected with me the most was vulnerability. 
uh, or just the sheer candor by which people were sharing information. And, and I think that wasn't only, by the way, between moderator and speaker. I think, actually, if you listen to what was happening around the roundtables or you listened or watched the conversations and engagements um, over coffee or over lunch or over beers or whatever, you saw people really, really connected. And I thought that was great. I don't think I was you know, just seeing something through a different lens. I, I felt like there was something a little bit different about the way that happened here. And I don't know why. But you should just put that in a bottle and make it happen again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we will do. I'll, I'll let Matt jump in before um, before Steve gives his thoughts. So I'll just pass over to you, Matt. Um, I suppose one thing from our point of view is going to be what we're going to do next. So <laughs> yeah, what crazy ideas um, is going through there? Well, no, not much. I won't. I won't talk too long. I'm not not an expert, and we know we're just putting the events together. But we are working for London to. Um, have a narrative throughout the whole event. We're working with a creative agency to 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 do that. I think um, there have been some clear themes for these two days or these two and a half days. Um, some of that's luck, some of it's judgment. But I think the more that we can bring a narrative and bring a theme and bring um, you know a constant thought throughout people's mind throughout the agenda and everything that happens before and after, um, if we can change that from event to event and shift the focus a little bit. You know, vulnerability seems to have been the theme, I can, and I couldn't agree more. Um, and you know, we're, we're trying to um, be proactive with that going into London on the 12th and 13th of November um, to have a theme and, and a narrative that we can push out um, through the speakers, through the content um, before people get there. So planting the seed in people's minds a little bit, mm. um, but not wanting to do it too much so that great thoughts and great feelings come out of it as well like Peter said there so um, yeah I think the more we can do about that the better the more thoughts and advice that we get from people around around the table and around the network the better as well so looking forward to it yeah and Steve um, similar questions to Peter and Angus really just um, you obviously work on many projects as well what's what's the uh, what are you going to take away what's the focus Good question. Um, takeaway and focus. Takeaway from focus. Good lord! If there's one thing I could do more, it's focus. Um, you know, yeah, squirrel. Yeah, we we got a lot of stuff going on. You know, um, our project with FC Barcelona continues to gain steam, and we got some fun things coming down the pipe with them. I think one of the main things that I was really excited about, um, especially like on Monday when Steve Cannon came to the the P8 and hearing some of the discussions after that, is you're starting to see a convergence between the performance and commercial side in sport. I've been banging this drum for like five years, and I still may be wrong, and I still may be crazy, but the convergence of these two places and the niche that's going to be created around what are the different products and things and services that can be built off of the performance side of sport. How can we really change sports science departments and coaching departments and scouting departments from just being cost centers to actually being real value drivers outside of the win-loss column? I'm starting to see, at least it feels like I'm starting to see people actually have side conversations. Like, Peter, you made the great, great point. The side conversations here at this over the last two days, I think, were some of the most robust and best that I've had. Um, it seems like there's barely been like a great maturation of this entire space. Um, and everyone here is starting to think less about um, just how they can like operate in their kingdom and more about how they can open up and get a bigger ecosystem, a lot with what the Blue Jays are doing. So I think like the creative thinking around how do you actually start to actually, um, you know, 
merge the performance side and commercial side of sport. Um, I think that's, we're going to, I'm going to continue to focus on that. And I'm going to continue to focus in that on that area. Um, and as luck would have it, Jimmy invited me to go moderate some sessions at the commercial summit. So I'm going to go there and offend some people and uh, crack some jokes and, uh, and hopefully make a, an esports session a bit livelier than uh, maybe they've been in the past. But uh, yeah, no, so we're just going to have, uh, we're going to continue to have fun, continue to build stuff and, and hopefully continue to give back to the ecosystem as much as we can. Yeah, thanks a lot, Stephen. Just from just before we wrap up here, guys, well, I think from only Matt and myself, um, we really appreciate obviously everybody's support, but in particular, guys like yourselves, um, your openness, your candidness, your honesty, um, and like you said, these these events don't really happen without people like yourself. So we're so appreciative of everything that you do for us. Um, it was a great couple of days. Safe trips back. Um, hopefully, we we'll see you in London. If not, next year over here in the states. But thanks again, guys. Thank thanks, you. Guys. Thank you.